John 15, starting verse number 1, says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away, and every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now you are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine, no more can ye except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch, and is withered, and men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, and ye ask what ye will, it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. So shall ye be my disciples. As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments. Abide in his love. These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, that your joy might be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. This morning I'll be preaching on abiding in Christ. Bearing fruit doesn't make you a Christian, but a Christian bears fruit. The amount of fruit that you bear doesn't make you a Christian. A Christian, it doesn't make you saved, but if you are saved, you are going to produce fruit. If you, uh, I got a vine, a grapevine, from my dad a couple years ago, and um, it was just a branch. And then we had it in the house all winter, and had it in a pot, and then it rooted, and we we planted two of them out in the yard, and and they're starting to take off uh, now. But I don't have to know what they are. I know that they are grapes. I'm not waiting to find out if they're going to turn into grapes, but that they are grape vines. And the, the fact that they grow and the fact that there will be fruit, um, that doesn't make it a grape vine. It, it is a grape vine um, by what it is. So it, being alive in Christ and bearing fruit in Christ doesn't make you a Christian. But it is the result of being in the vine, it is the result of having life that you produce fruit. Now there's a very important warning there in verse number 6. That if a, if a man abide not in me and not in Christ, he is cast forth as a branch and withered, and men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burnt. If you do not abide in Christ, if you do not pr- produce fruit, then you will be cast into the fire. Why is that? Because no fruit, no life. Now, in one of those branches it, uh, that uh, off of that vine that I have, it's, it's black. It's dead. There, there is nothing there. And so it needs to be cut and it needs to be tossed away because there is no life in that. I'm not waiting for that vine to start producing fruit so I can determine whether or not there's a life or not. There is no life there. And so, no fruit, no life. No fruit, no salvation. No fruit, there's no faith. So that's a very important warning there because without fruit... It's an evidence that you have no life. Why? Because it's impossible to bear fruit without Christ. And if you are saved, 
And if you abide in Christ, and Christ abides in you, there will be fruit. That vital union with Christ and by His power produces fruit in the life of those who are, who are in Him for the glory of the Father. So if you love Jesus, then it would be a, a, a terrible thing to think about being separated from Him. So if you love Jesus and you hear verse number 6 and say, what a terrible thing to be, to be cut and to be cast from Him and to be separated from Him. Why? Because you love Jesus. And that would be an, a terrible thing. But those who are dead, they, it doesn't bother them one way or the other if they are separated. They might think of, well, I don't want to be burned in the fire, but, but separation from someone you're not joined to to start with doesn't bother you. But what happens is the child of God might, who loves Jesus and thinks it would be the most terrible thing to be separated from Christ, might just start to say, well, what if I don't produce enough fruit? And begin to look inward to see how much sin remains. And I tell you, if you look inward enough, you'll see a lot of sin. And you'll see a lot of, of sin that remains in your flesh. And then you can think, I wish I produced more fruit. I wish I glorified the Lord more. There's so much in my life that, that I don't produce fruit. In so many ways that I don't serve him as I ought, and then you start to then you can start to worry and doubt. Because why? You're looking inwardly and you're not looking to the source of life. I don't believe the point of this passage here is to cause us to continually look into ourselves and measure the fruit. But I think the point of this passage here is for us to see that if there is fruit, we can have assurance that there is life. Now, there are warnings there. If there is no fruit, then you have no cause to, 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 to say that you have confidence that there is life. But the point here is not to doubt Christ or to have us doubt Christ this morning. Because there's no changing of theme in this passage. So if you look at it from the point of view that Christ has wanted us to doubt our salvation and look within and and all the time being wondering if we're truly saved and doubting what he's done for us, then you have a problem when you get to verse number 11 where it says that these things have I spoken unto you that your joy might remain, that your joy might be full. So if you have the idea that Jesus is, is t wanting us to doubt him and, and always doubting whether or not we, we truly are saved, then you get to verse number 11, you'll have to scratch your head and say, well, how can my joy be full? How can my joy be full if, if Jesus is wanting me to, to doubt whether or not he saved me or not? Well, the only way that our joy could be full is not to be looking inwardly, but to be looking to him. So this, for the Christian, is not the, for the purpose of stomping on toes, but for your joy. See, Jesus tells us why he's saying all this. We don't have to wonder, I wonder what Jesus is getting at when he's telling this story. Uh, uh, illustration about the vine. We don't have to wonder what his point is. He tells us. These things have I spoken to you that your joy might remain in you, that your joy might be full. So I try to learn that lesson. You know, be plain about what I'm talking about whenever I'm preaching. What's the point? What am I getting at? Well, that's what Jesus said. This is my point. This is the theme in which I'm talking on these things. That, you're, that you might have joy. That your joy might be full. 
So if you're not in Christ, then you have no reason for joy. You have no reason uh, for the joy of Christ because you have uh, the, there's no life in you. But if you are in Christ, and Christ is working in you and producing fruit in you, not is he pr- producing as much fruit as there could be, or not is he producing as much fruit as you want to be, or is he, not even that is he producing as much fruit as he did yesterday, but the point is, is, is there life, is there fruit in you, working in you? Then, then we ask ourselves, where does that come from? Where does that fruit come from? Why do we have it to begin with? And then we start to think on those things, and then our joy can be full in Christ. Well, so for, first of all, let's consider just abiding in Christ and bearing fruit. Eight times in verses 4 through 10, the English word abide is found. And there's the Greek word that is translated something else. In, so nine times, really, Jesus is talking about abiding or not abiding in Christ. Abiding in Christ is like the branch abiding in the vine. That's where it's found. That's where its life is. Um, it's also just receiving Christ by faith. If we flip back to chapter 6 in verse uh, 65, or 56, I'm sorry, John 6, 56, it says, He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me, and I in him. So, this is receiving Christ by faith. And that's what he's talking about here in this passage, that if you receive Christ by faith, you dwell in him and he in you. That you have union with Christ when you trust in him by faith, you receive him. So, to abide in Christ is to have life in Christ, to have union with Christ, to feed on Christ, to, to have your life in Christ. Abiding is living by faith and trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. It is resting in Christ and in his work for forgiveness of sin and for everlasting life. Abiding in Christ is trusting in him completely, wholeheartedly, and depending upon him fully. To abide in Christ is not to look to him for motivation or look to him for guidance only or to look to him for a little bit of help, but it is to rest in what he has done for us, to trust completely in his work and depend upon him wholly for our salvation. It is, tur- it is turning to Christ, it is receiving him, it is living in him and by him and through him and, and having all confidence in what Christ does for us. That is what it is to abide in him. It's simply truly believing in Christ and resting in the promises that he has provided for us and resting in what he has done for us. A.W. Pink said to abide in Christ is to continue in the joyful recognition of the value of his perfect sacrifice and the efficacy of his precious blood or the, the power and the worth of his precious blood. How do we do this? Well, this is by God's grace. Because without him, we can do nothing. The whole thrust of the the gospel of John is showing that how we must be saved by God's grace 
and by God's grace alone, not by our works, uh, not by how much faith that we have, but it is by his grace and by his grace alone. And that is the position to which we are, are looking at John chapter 15 from the position of faith, from the position of abiding in Christ, from the position of union with Christ. And so we can only produce fruit. We can only have life. We can only be in the vine if we are, are resting and trusting in Christ. So this, um, this fruit bearing is connected to our position with Christ and our life in Christ, not the other way around. It is not that our fruit bearing makes us in Christ or fruit bearing and our, our keeping of the commandments make us in Christ, but because that we are, then that is the result of what he does for us. So abiding in Christ and bearing fruit all come from the same place, and that is faith in Christ and him working in us. Now in verse number 3, Jesus says, You are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you. And so this abiding in Christ, this resting in Christ, also has a connection to the second thing we want to look at this morning, is the word and prayer. So we are clean through the word which we have spoken, and we abide in Christ, in Christ in us. Now look now in number seven, verse number 7. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. So we see here that we are clean through the word, and then he says, abide in me and I in you. Then in verse number 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, then you will ask and you'll, what we will, and it will be done unto you. So abiding in Christ, per Christ, begins with the being cleansed. So that shows um, our position with Christ. Our position in God. That, that positionally we are justified. We are clean. We are righteous. So in Christ, God looks at you who are in Christ and, and sees the righteousness of Christ. He sees not sin, but perfection. And so you are saved, you are justified, you're cleansed. And, and nothing can change that, that position. Nothing can change whether or not you are a son or not. Nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Nothing can you, take you from the Father's hands. Nothing can uh, remove you from the, the Father's family because you were adopted in Christ and sealed with the Spirit. You are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. So once you are in Christ and you have life, there is nothing or no one or anything in heaven and earth, within or without, that can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. So if we abide in Christ and Christ in us, we are safe, we are secure positionally, that we, we cannot be cast aside, we cannot lose what he's given us. And so abiding in him is continuing from that position of justification, from, from righteousness, from salvation, from assurance, and then continuing on in our relationship with, with the Lord. So if you abide in me and my words abide in you. So the if is not that 
it's doubtful once you are in Christ whether you will remain. But this is talking about our relationship with our Lord. So our standing never changes, but our relationship can be hindered. So if we are in Christ and yet we are consumed with worldliness or consumed with, with ourselves and not with the Lord and not with what he has called us to do, well, then our, our joy will be affected. But that doesn't change our standing. Life, Pink also said life in Christ is salvation. Life with Christ is fellowship. Life by Christ is fruit bearing. And life for Christ is service. And so we can think about these different things, these different uh, relationships, if you will, the, the way that we think about this, that our life in Christ is salvation, and our life with him is fellowship. And so the fruit-bearing, abiding in the words, abide in you, then that is the life that we have in Christ, our, our fellowship with him, and, and our service to him and for him. So abiding in this regard is our continued relationship with him, looking to him in, in faith. So if we look at some parallel passage here in uh, Colossians chapter number 2 and verse number 6, it says, As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him, rooted and built up in him, establishing the faith as you've been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. So as we have received Christ, so that, that is abiding with him. So we walk in him. It's not walk in him, therefore, to receive him, but because you have received him, so walk in him, continue on in him, continue to abide in him. Now in chapter 3, and verse 16, it says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. In all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatsoever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. So just as Jesus tells us to abide in him and his words abide in you, as it relates to bearing fruit, Paul says that we have received Christ, we walk in Christ, and let that word of Christ dwell in us. And then, whatever we do, we do it in thankfulness, in a spirit of gratitude for what the Lord has done for us, and do all in the name of the Lord, giving thanks to Him. So this abiding in Christ, this continual um, relationship, we might say, in Christ, is that Christ is in us, and the word is in us. His word is in us, and, and that's the connection of, of the Bible and the word of God to our abiding in him. Sinclair Ferguson said, so if you want to dwell in Christ, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Leave no room in your life locked, no cupboard door closed. Let it bring light to your mind. Let it warm your affection for Christ, warm your affections to Christ. Let it subdue your will to his. The word of Christ is the instrument of Christ used by the spirit of Christ to nourish union with Christ, to transform us to the image of Christ, 
It is a way in which we behold the face of God as in a, a glass, the glory of God, and changed by the Spirit of the Lord. So this abiding in Christ is connected with his word. Hearing his word, receiving his word, and fellowshipping with him in his word. So that brings us to prayer. Ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. So now we've got to take everything in context of what Christ is instructing us here. And sometimes people will take this passage and just take it all by itself. Well, actually, a lot of these passages people will take by themselves, separate it from what Jesus is saying, and make it mean maybe even the opposite. Well, ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. So people might have that on a um, coffee cup or, or something like that. Well, if I ask the Lord for a new house, he'll, he'll give it to me because he says, ask and it shall be done unto you. Or if I ask the Lord for money or ask the Lord for healing, whatever I ask, he's going to do. But, but what's the context of which Jesus is talking about here in this particular instance? Well, we bear fruit only if we are in the vine. We can't accept Jesus abide in us in verse number four. Those who without fruit will be cut off and burnt in verse number six. We are clean and abide in Christ by faith. Therefore, if we abide in Christ's words and his words abide in us, what is it that we should want? We also find that keeping the Father's commandments glorifies him. And that we have joy in this. So what is it that we should want? What is it we should desire? We should desire to produce fruit, right? If you, if you love Christ, if you love the Father, and the Father is glorified by producing fruit, if fruit is the a sign of life, if that is a way to continue in his joy, the way to, to, to show your love towards him, well, immediately we would say, that's what I desire. I desire the fruit of the Spirit. I desire to love God, to have joy in God. I desire these things. That, that is what I want. As I read the Word of God and I read what the Bible says about abiding in Christ, that is what I desire. Well, Jesus says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, so if you're, you're, you're fellowshipping with Christ, the Word of Christ dwells in you richly, what is it you would want? Well, you'd want fruit. You'd want to serve Him. You'd want to love Him. So when we pray for Christ to abide in us and his word to abide in us and for him to produce fruit in us that we might love him and our joy might be full, it'll be done to us. This will show us what we ought to pray for and really limits the idea that we can just ask whatever we want and God will do it because he's directing what we should be praying for here. We're called to obey. We are called to walk after Christ and obey uh, the, the commands that God has given us. But whatever we need to walk with Christ, whatever we need to abide in Christ, whatever we need to obey the word of God, whatever we need to, to love God and to love one another, Jesus said, ask and it will be done unto you. Don't worry that that you won't have 
the ability because you don't have the ability of yourself. But I'm the one who gives it. I'm the one that produces it in you. And if you ask, it'll be done. Jesus will give us all that we need. See, that's the, the end for which the Father wills, is that we would glorify him, and there would be much fruit in us, as it's, the text says. Much fruit. This is the end for which Christ lived and died, that there would be fruit. This is the end for which the Spirit works in us, that there would be a fruit for the glory of God. And he works in us and produces that. So God will answer that prayer and provide us everything that we need to bear fruit and keep his commands. That's how our joy can be full. Don't read the passages and, and look inward and say, well, I don't do enough. Look to the passages and say, the Lord has produced fruit in me. And it's not like I want, but I know that he will give me all that I need to be able to, to do what he wants me to do. So growth and holiness is, is what God is doing unto us. And that's what it says at the end of verse, not he shall do it for you, but it shall be done unto you. It's what the word does to us that is primary here, even more than what we do in the word. And we might get that turned around sometimes that we think more about what we do in the word than what the word is doing unto us. So we, we will say, I have to read the Bible so many chapters this morning. And that's what I'm doing in the Word. And I'm reading the chapter and I'm checking it off and, and I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. This is what me, I'm doing in the Word. And that's good. That's good to read your Bible. It's good to study your Bible. But let's not forget what the Word of God is telling us here is what it will be done unto us. That's the important thing is what God's Word is doing to us. Changing us and, and guiding us, feeding us. So there is a so there's a connection in the word of God and prayer to abiding in Christ. So yes, we must be in the word and hear the word and pray. But it's what God does in us with these means um, that that he produces fruit in us. So it's all by grace. What God is teaching us and feeding us in when we come to him in faith. Third thing we look at this morning is abiding in the love and the commandments. So we've seen what abiding in Christ is. We've seen abiding in Christ with the word and prayer. Now we see abiding in Christ in love and in the commandments. Verse number 7 says, If you abide in me and my words in you, you shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit, so shall you be my disciples. Now again, we might take that last part of verse number 8 and say, well, this is the test of whether or not I'm a disciple, how much fruit I produce. And this is the only way God can be glorified is if I produce much fruit and I don't produce much fruit, so I must not be a disciple. But we, we can't detach from the whole. So that's, I know I keep coming back to this, but, but we have to remember it because it's so prevalent in our way of thinking, in our natural way of thinking, is that we do something for God and he'll do something for us. But the truth of the matter is God has done something for us and we do something for him only because he's done something for us first. He saves us. He gives us life. He, um, we abide in him. We have our life in him. 
He works in us that we might glorify him by his works. It's all the work of God in us. Even the, even the fruit that we produce is the work of God in us. So he says, abide in me and my words in you. You cannot bear fruit apart from the vine. But if you are in Christ and Christ is in you, you will bear fruit because you're alive in Christ. And this is the supernatural operation of God in salvation and union with Christ and our walk with Christ. God sanctifies us. And our walking in holiness and keeping the commandments and obeying him and following him is a product of what God does in us. It is God's will that we produce much fruit. And so God doesn't save us by sovereign grace and then wills that we produce much fruit and then just leaves it all up to us. But it is God's will that he, we produce fruit. He sanctifies us and then he works in us to produce that fruit. Even that is of grace. So in verse number 9, it says, As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. If you keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. This, these are some amazing passages of Scripture. The Father loved Christ as the Father has loved me. Likewise, as Christ loved you. Just as the Father had loved Jesus, just as the Father had loved His Son, Jesus said, so have I loved you, and continue in my love. Continue is the same Greek word translated abide in the other places. Abide in my love. I'm going to quote Pink one more time. This is, this is pretty good. He says, For we must never doubt Christ's immeasurable love for us and to us. The measure of his love for us was told out at the cross. And as he is the same yesterday, therefore he is the same today, he, just, he loves us just as dearly now in every moment as when he laid down his life for us. To abide in his love then is to be occupied with it, to count upon it, to be persuaded that nothing shall ever be able to separate us from it. Dwelling upon our poor fluctuating love for Christ will make us miserable. But having the heart fixed upon his wondrous love, that which passeth knowledge, will fill us with praise and thanksgiving. To abide in Christ is to abide in his love. And our growth proceeds from love to love. This perfect, complete, unwavering love of the Father to Christ is what is in view here. First, Jesus knew the Father loved him. Do you think Jesus was doubting the love of the Father? Jesus never doubted the Father's love. He knew the Father. 
And he knew the Father's love for him. He never doubted the Father's love for him and watched care over him. This perfect, think about the perfect and complete and unwavering love the Father had to Christ. And so Jesus says, likewise, I have a perfect, complete, unwavering love for you, my disciples. They left the upper room and walking out towards Gethsemane. And Jesus says, my father loves me, and I know that he loves me. And I love you men just as the Father loves me. Does that sound like the words of one that was stomping on their toes and, and causing them to doubt what Christ was, was doing for them? So he says, continue in that love. I'm going to be leaving. I'm going to the Father's house. But abide in my love. Continue in my love. Rest in my love that I have for you. Live there and abide there and rest there and, and have your hope there and be settled there. Never doubt the love of Christ for you. Child of God, to know that he died for you. and To know that he has saved you. Abide in that love. Continue in that love. Then Jesus says, if you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love, even as I kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So Christ kept the commandments. Everything Jesus did, he said, he did for the, to fulfill the will of the Father. Over and over and over again, you see that. He had come to do the Father's will. He had come to speak the words that he heard of his Father. So he, he spoke according to the Father's will, and he lived according to the Father's will, and he um, did miracles according to the Father's will. He said, I keep, I keep my commandments. I keep the, my Father's commandments, and I abide in his love. You think Jesus was keeping the commandments in order that the Father might love him? Well, no, we wouldn't say that. You wouldn't think that. You wouldn't think that when Jesus said, I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. You wouldn't think that the only reason the Father loves Jesus is because he's keeping the commandments. But what Jesus is saying is, I keep the commandments and I abide in his love. Jesus kept and loved the commandments. Jesus was impeccable. It's, It's not that he just did it. It's that he couldn't do anything otherwise. Why is that? Because he he abode in the love of the Father. One reason is his 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 perfection, but the but because of that and his love of the Father, that's another reason why he he couldn't sin. He loved the Father and kept the command the commandments. And Jesus experienced the joy and the love of the Father in obedience. Jesus wasn't earning the love of the Father, but Christ's love for the Father was expressed in his perfect obedience. So when you trust Christ, we have to stop for a second and remember what our position is in Christ and then what our relationship is. So there is a positional holiness that we have, and then there's the holiness that we 
that we can do in keeping the commandments. So what we have to, we can't, we can't forget those two. We don't want to combine the two, but we don't want to forget the two. Right? So we are saved and righteous positionally. We are holy positionally in what Christ did for us. And so that changes our relationship with the commandments. That's what Paul says in Romans 6 and 7 and 8, that the law doesn't change, God's commandments don't change, but our relationship to the law changes. We died to, to sin, we, we are, we're dead to the law, that we might live into Christ. Romans 7 6 says, But we are delivered from the law, that being dead wherein we were held, that we should serve in newness of spirit and not in the oldness of letter. The law is still the same, but our relationship to it has changed. How? Romans 8 1. Therefore, or there is therefore no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made us free from the law of sin and death. So the law of the spirit of life, abiding in Christ with life, we, the, the, what God wants us to do has not changed, but our relationship to it has changed. That we're not condemned by the law anymore, but the law guides us and is our counselor in how we would live. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak in the flesh, through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh. The law can't save us. The law can't do anything good for you other than condemn you. The law doesn't do anything in us or for us other than to show us where we fail. The law isn't earning God's love for the Christian because we already have it. It's not earning justification for us because in Christ we already have it. It's not earning righteousness for us in Christ because if you're in Christ you already have it. It's not earning your position with God because in Christ you are settled, you are His and you belong to Him. The law guides us in holiness. And so from that position Jesus says if you, look, if you keep my commandments you shall abide in my love. Not condemned, in Christ, alive, walking in the Spirit. If you keep His commandments, then you will abide in His love. You, there will be that relationship of joy and love expressed by keeping His commandments. So we're abiding in the love of Christ by keeping His commandments. We're, we're resting in Christ by keeping His commandments. We show our love and gratitude towards Him by keeping His commandments. No one can or will continue in obedience by threats of the law. Because the law threatens, it condemns, but it doesn't produce. We are called to obey, and that's motivated by our love for him. And that's what Jesus said, the Father loved me, I love you, continue in my love, abide in my love, and keep my commandments and abide in my love. Why? Because, because of the love shown. Just even out here in society, the law doesn't produce anything. The law doesn't produce anything. You can arrest a man for committing a crime, bring him before the judge's bench, and the judge tell him, if you keep doing this, I'm going to send you to jail for 30 days. If I see you again, you'll be there for six months. What happens most of the time? It's not too much longer. He sees him there again. Show up again next time, 
you're going back to jail. And then he'll show up. That's why you got uh, um, repeat offenders. If the law could produce something in us, there wouldn't be um, repeat offenders. The law terrifies us. We don't want to get punished. And so lots of times that's the only reason people don't commit crimes is because they don't want to go to jail. They don't want to pay the fine. Well, the, the, the law doesn't produce anything in anybody, but love is a motivation. We are compelled by Christ. We are motivated by our love. And that's what Jesus says. Remember what I have done for you. Remember my love for you. And then obey me. There's no joy in the, the law. But when we remember the Father, and remember what Christ has done for us, then there is joy. Let me close just with a thought of the prodigal son on this, on this note. Remember the prodigal son? He wanted to have a better life away from the father. And so he gets his inheritance and he goes off and he has a, lives a riotous life. He's going to start living for himself. He's going to live his way and do his thing. And he does. For a while. He goes up, he lives it up, he's having a blast. Doing all things that dad never would let me do. I, I'm living for myself. Well, the world turns upside down. Um, financial troubles. Maybe if inflation hits and everything goes bad. Everything goes south. And there he is, poor, abandoned by all those he thought uh, were his friends, to the point where he would have sat down and ate with the hogs. He was so desperate. There was no joy there. But what did he think about? He remembered his father. And he remembered his father's house. And he remembered the love of his father. And he remembered the joy there of his father. And he remembered all the things that he had there with his father. And he returns. And his father comes to him. And his father embraces him. His father says, I'm going to clean you up. I'm going to dress you up. We're going to have a party. He said, Dad, I'll I'll be your servant. I'll I'll serve you. I'll do whatever you want me to do. And the father said, no, you're my son. You're my son. There was love there with the father, but but there was also that desire of the prodigal. I'll do whatever you want me to do, father. Because I want to dwell with you and and dwell where where the love is. And dwell where this grace is. See, that there was a heart change. There was a gratitude there. There was a, uh, I will obey you, Father, because I love you, because of your grace, because of your mercy. And he would have just been a slave. He said, no, you're not going to be a slave. You're my son. You're going to come in the house. You're going to take your position of, of son. You're going to come back, and we're going to have a party and a celebration, and I'm going to put the clothes back on you uh, that, that, that you ought to be wearing, and... and you think that son had gratitude the rest of his life? You think that son, the, the next morning, when his dad says, come on, son, let's go out and, and check the fields, you think he would say, I don't want to go check those fields. I don't want to do that. I'd say that his son was probably up before he was, ready to go, ready to, to, to honor his father that had brought him into the house. Well, that's how you and I are. We don't earn the father's love. We don't earn the love of Christ, but 
what Christ has done for us and has done in us. Well, obeying him and, and doing what he wants us to is the expression of our love towards him. We don't want to, we don't want to disobey him. We want to express our love. Father, this is how much I love you. This is, this is my gratitude for what you have done for me. And that's what Jesus is saying here. Abide in my love. Keep my commandments and abide in my love. Not abide so you can live, but because you have life, because you abide in me, therefore keep my commandments and your joy will be full.